Welcome to the Money Advantage Podcast, empowering business owners with the permission to think differently about money so that you can consciously choose to live a meaningful and fulfilled life now. Our passion is making money simple, fun, and doable, helping you feel great about your money and getting your money working for you so you can thrive. All right. Good morning and welcome back to the Money Advantage Podcast. This is Rachel Marshall and Bruce Weiner. And you are in for a real treat today. I hope that you are excited to tune in. Today, we're going to be talking about the 10 reasons, 10, that you need life insurance. And of course, we would say this, right? Because we're in the life insurance space and we talk about life insurance all the time. And yet, here is what we know to be true. There are many people, not just us and not even just people that we talk to, that know that they want more insurance. They they recognize that they have a need for more life insurance. They either are not insured or they're not insured enough. And yet there's something, there's this um, friction between them getting what they know they want and need and actually accomplishing that. And so we're going to unpack that a little bit today and then hopefully give you some tools to really think through life insurance from a perspective of understanding it rather than just thinking I probably need it, but there's these reasons that are going to you know, hold me back and I either don't understand it well enough or I, I don't understand it well enough for myself to really step in and make that decision and get the insurance that you know you want and need. And so we have some studies we're going to be talking about today. We have a lot of um, broad perspective about insurance and some fine detail about life insurance that's really going to help you be able to make these decisions. So um, Bruce, before I jump in and kind of set us off with some of the LIMRA studies, what's your thoughts on this? Why people either are not insured and why people need insurance? Well, I I really just think it comes down to um, people do not want to face their own mortality. I mean, I I really think that's what it comes down to. And uh, I think I said this once before on on a podcast, we all know we're going to die. We just don't believe we're going to die. And as, as actually, as a biologist in education, you know, I understand that because uh, you would live your life differently if you were obsessing over your death all the time. And so that's that's an evol- be unhealthy, right? Yeah, that's an evolutionary thing that we've developed to not focus on that. Unfortunately, the statistics are really skewed to to where people do not have the appropriate amount of life insurance. Even when people have it, I don't. They don't have the appropriate amount. And I've seen this over my career. I, I think I've stated this before. I haven't done the math in several years, but at one time I had been in over 5,000 appointments with people. And I can tell you right now that people think, and I'm talking about good uh, income people, like a family income of 150,000, they would say, oh yeah, I have $300,000 of life insurance. That's more than enough for my employer because it's two times their salary. And I say, well, you know, let's just let's just use some basic economics and investments. Let's say you get, you know, five uh, percent off your investments. 
And that's $7,500 a year from that. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, uh, $15,000 $15, a year from that. Um, I was th- I was doing five percent of their salary, but three hundred fifteen thousand dollars and five and five percent is is a pretty aggressive number too. So they're they're replacing their hundred fifty thousand dollars salary with fifteen thousand dollars of investment income. <clears throat> the math just doesn't work. And that, those are for people that actually have some life insurance. There's a lot of people out there that do not have life insurance, and those are the people that. You know, I, I wish we'd just educate them more, even if it's just term insurance for a while. Uh, the benefits of that far outweigh the tragic thing that happens in people's lives. Uh, and finally, Rachel, before we get into, you know, what the statistics, I just like to say is I've, <clears throat> I've been doing this long enough that I've had clients die. And fortunately, I've been able to hand hand over very large checks to the families. And although it doesn't bring your loved one back, it sure eliminates a lot of the stress. And unfortunately, I've also handed over very small checks because people, even though through my advice, did not see the value of having a lot of insurance. And those people still have some stress in their lives. So um really, I just want people to think about what their life is going to be like when they have this fear or stress eliminated from their life today. That's really what you should focus on. I think there is so much good stuff packed into this already. So let's go ahead and Bruce, with that perspective that the statistics are skewed in in not um being in over reporting people that have enough insurance i think is what you're saying there that far more people do not have enough insurance or as much insurance as they could and should have than these statistics share but i wanted to just give a little bit of background this is life insurance awareness month every september and life insurance awareness month began um because there is um LIMRA. So I have that in front of me as well. I always have to remember the Life Insurance Marketing and Research Association has partnered with an organization called Life Happens. We're going to bring that up again in a minute. And they sponsor Life Insurance Awareness Month every year. And so the goal of this campaign is really to educate people about the need for life insurance and help people to be able to make decisions and become insured so that they are in a better position. And so that is kind of some of the background of why we're talking about this. But we wanted to not just say, hey, you need life insurance, but really say, what is this? How is this going to benefit you? And what is your life going to be different? How is it going to be different and improved as a result of having life insurance? So this was some statistics back from LIMRA's 2021 study. So this was a year ago. The statistics have not changed a lot, but I wanted to share just a little bit here. At that time, so January 2021, a little over about a year and a half ago, just 52% of consumers reported owning life insurance. And again, this is reported. So they clearly didn't survey everyone. And um, they are also taking into account anyone who owns group life insurance or individual life insurance, any kind of life insurance. 
And so that's 52% owning life insurance, meaning 48%, almost half, did not own life insurance of any kind. Bruce, do you want to talk about that at all? Well, I think the only thing you have to focus on there, and and maybe you have it, um, is that just because you own some insurance doesn't mean it's the proper amount of insurance. And that's what I was talking about. In, In most cases, people are grossly under underinsured. And it's funny, we don't <clears throat> we don't do that in other aspects of our lives. You cannot underinsure your home, especially if you have a mortgage on it. The mortgage company requires it. You can't underinsure your car, especially if you had a lien holder on it, they require it. Mm-hmm. Um you, you certainly I I don't know of anybody that doesn't have insurance on their home. There may be people out there, but I don't know anybody who doesn't have insurance on their home, even if it doesn't have a mortgage on it. Um, I do know people that go down to just liability on their car um, so they don't have collision insurance, but it's just weird how we take care of those two assets that we feel, but our greatest asset, we don't fully insure. Well, I was going to say, just along that line, I mean, the stakes are so much higher with life insurance. Life insurance really is insuring your income, your ability to bring in income into your family, which then pays the bills. It pays for education for the kids. It pays for groceries every month. It pays your mortgage or your rent bill. It pays for you to drive your car and put gas in the car. I mean, it pays for your regular life expenses. And most people think of, well, if I die, all I need to cover is pay off the house maybe send the kids to school. And that's the amount that they're thinking, well, here's my mortgage amount. Here's my um, potential burial expenses. Here's the amount it's going to take to send the kids to college. And that's where they calculate their need for life insurance, which I think that's a completely wrong angle to look at life insurance in the first place. It's not a need product because here's the situation. If you did pass away, it's not just that you would need to cover a few things for the first six months. You would have a termination of your income coming into your family for the rest of time. That means the rest of your working years, all the income that you would make this year and next year and the following years, all the way until the end of your life. And if that income is not coming into the family, you need to think about how to replace that in a way that your family could continue on living the life that you would want them to and that they would want to. That's a want product. It's not a need-based product. Yeah, real quickly, Rach, there may be some people out there saying, well, yeah, but then Social Security will pay, um, but they do not pay a widow's benefit until age 60, till the widow actually turns 60. So uh, you have to keep that in mind because I think a lot of people think, well, when you die, Social Security will just start paying for your family. And they do pay, they do pay for kids that are under 18. Uh, but they do not pay a benefit to the spouse uh, until the spouse is age 60. So uh, that's a misnomer uh, that a lot of people have. Mm, thank you for pointing that out. So uh, another piece here is that overall, this is again from the study that Limra did back in 2021. So they also said overall, there are 102 million uninsured and underinsured Americans who know they need or need more life insurance coverage. Now, Bruce, isn't the population about 300 million? 320, 325, 330, somewhere in that neighborhood, yes. So 
Granted, are we talking about children? Um, who are they counting as a consumer? And who did they do the study of? Was that population more likely to have insurance or not? But in that case, we're looking at one third, at least, of Americans not having insurance or not having enough insurance. Again, I would say that that's probably far underreported. This was interesting. 42% of Americans say their household would face financial hardship within six months should a wage earner die suddenly. And 25% would struggle financially within a month. So there's an awareness that if something happened to me, my income would be lost, there would be financial hardship in my family. And yet, even with that recognition, many people are aware that there's that challenge. So that's the negative fact, right? That's the that's the thing that we can fear, we can have scarcity over, we can say, oh my goodness, this is a terrible thing. I need to do something about it. Well, what is that block that prevents people from doing something about it? Most of those statistics, here's the top three reasons people or consumers don't buy life insurance. Maybe you have felt them yourself. Maybe you've heard them from someone else, but chances are you're going to identify with this. Number one, it's too expensive. 60% of people are saying that. Two, they have other financial priorities, meaning, well, I want to invest this money instead of buying life insurance, or I need to save first, or I need to buy a car, or I need to go on vacation. Other financial priorities just means you have a limited number of dollars every month and every year you're allocating those. And somehow life insurance, yeah, it's a challenge, but not something that I need to deal with right now because I have other things that are taking precedence. And the third reason is they're unsure of how much to what type. So how much and what type. They're, they're saying, hey, I have this need, but I'm not exactly sure what to do. And granted, that's fair. There are a lot of types of insurance. You could get any amount of insurance. Some people, again, are saying, well, I've got 50,000 of coverage or 100,000 of coverage or 300,000 of coverage. That should be enough, right? Or they have group insurance. Do I still need individual insurance? So there's all these questions. There's a lot of information out there. And again, you can find anything online to prove what you want, the story you want to back up. But the real question is, how do you get the right information to make decisions that's going to help you be in a state of clarity and confidence? And that's what we're going to talk about today. Yeah, I think the I think it's what you just said is right for you. Too many people try to sift through these questions by themselves. And the, although the internet is great for getting information, a lot of times it doesn't bring any more clarity. It, it actually just, you know, it actually uh, distracts from the clarity because you have so many people say, you need to do this, or you need to do this. And if you do it this way, that's a scam or that's bad. And I hope people realize, or if they really sit down, they can realize that it's a really, uh, nothing is a scam if it's been, um, in society for a long time, because it would not remain viable for a long time. It's basic economic principles. If you serve and you have service to others and people purchase it for a long time, it's not a scam. Okay. Uh, it, it just doesn't work like that. People are not that stupid. They're stupid in a short uh, run. They might fall for a short term thing, but if something's presented, for a long period of time, it's not a scam, whether it's term life, whether it's second to die, whether it's universal life, whether it's index universal life, variable universal life, or whole life, none of those are actually scams. 
it, they're not bad products. What ends up happening is they're bad strategies with those products. So that's what people have to keep in mind when they're trying to evaluate what's best for them. And if you if if you really want to figure that out, you really ought to work with somebody that has been in those situations, not only themselves, but with thousands or hundreds, hundreds of, if not thousands of clients and help them through that. So there is so much that we could talk about here. I think what we need to do is unpack the 10 reasons why you would benefit from having life insurance. And please don't let the title scare you. Um, We do want to tell you why you need life insurance. I believe that everyone would be in a better position if they had some life insurance. Now, that doesn't mean you all have to have the same kind, the same policy, the same type, but everyone would benefit from having life insurance. And here's the reasons why we're going to unpack those here. And then at the end, because of the clarity that we are going to bring through those 10 reasons, we're going to tell you what you can do with this information. So let's go ahead and jump into the first reason. The benefits outweigh the cost. Now, many people think life insurance is way too expensive. If you, and there was even a study about this as well in, or a statistic about this in the um, study that Limra did in 2021, most people just overestimate the amount that would be required for purchasing life insurance. And what that means is that if you think it's going to be way too expensive, you're not even going to see what your options are. So instead of painting in your mind, it's too expensive, I can't do it, just check it out first and then figure out if it's too expensive. So too expensive, what does that actually mean? If you are paying for something and you're not getting any benefit, that might be too expensive. You could say too expensive means I can't fit it into my monthly spending plan or my monthly budget. I don't have dollars that I am able to allocate towards this. Okay, well, maybe there's a some wiggle room or some way that we can think about your life differently to help you accommodate this particular need. So Bruce, do you want to say anything about just the, the cost of insurance, especially when it comes to a product like term insurance? Well, people do have this this conception, and I'm not going to say misconception, I'm just going to say this idea that, you know, if it's too expensive, but it's too expensive compared to what? And that's what, um, it's funny, you know, you mentioned buying a car, somebody might spend uh, $60,000, $70,000 on a car and even more and spend not hardly anything or maybe zero on life insurance when they could have made a different decision to spend instead of 70,000, spend 60,000 on the car and spend $10,000 on the life insurance. So this is a little harsh reality, but I do it myself. I say, oh, you know, I should work out more, but I don't have the time. So I work out only a little bit because I say I don't have the time. But really, I have the time. I just don't prioritize the time for that. And so we do this with life insurance all the time because we we don't see it as a priority because we don't get a benefit for ourselves. We're just we're benefit our loved ones when it comes just to the pure death benefit. Now there's other benefits for ourselves that we can talk about. We're going to talk about later, but uh, it's all about your mindset and how you prioritize things. 
which I think honestly to, to dig into that a little bit more, it might even be helpful to talk about why should we put life insurance as a higher priority? I think that really hits on that second reason people don't purchase. Yeah. It maybe seems too expensive. Well, you know, eating healthy is also too expensive or, you know, do you have time to read a book? No, nobody has a time to read a book. Do you have time to exercise? No. But if you prioritize the thing, you'll always make time for the things that you have priority with in your life. And so how can you think about life insurance in a way to understand the true gravity of this? And so with life insurance, I mean, the simple fact of knowing that if you did not have life insurance in place, and so many people are in this position, if they then experience a health challenge, there's medical bills, they experience, they they pass away. There's a financial hole in your family that cannot be fixed by anything at that point, except for the charity of others or having to go into debt or being in a very, very stressful time at a time that your loved ones are going through the most um, emotionally challenging and grief laden time that they probably will ever go through. And so if you can imagine being able to lighten that burden by having life insurance that would replace the need for them to have to worry about money, there's so much more benefit in that because whether you buy term insurance, whether you buy whole life insurance or even anything in between, the amount you pay in ben- or in premium will always be less than you get in death benefit. There are some caveats to that. If you bought term insurance and you continue to buy term insurance every single year and you live to 93, we would need to talk about the reality of the cost of that term insurance that you're annually renewing would be very high. That's not a good strategy to keep term insurance your whole life. But if you're starting out, it's a great strategy. So the reality is that you're going to have more in payout than you've paid in in premiums. And because of that, you you're essentially you're investing in the future of your family and your loved ones so that they have something available to be able to weather the financial challenge of losing your income. So Bruce, let's go ahead and dig into the next one. So income, the second reason to have life insurance is that it's income protection to take care of your family if something happens to you. I touched on this a little bit a second ago, but if you don't have life insurance, so without life insurance, usually people are having to turn to something like GoFundMe, the charity of others that are around them. And if you think about that, if the need for capital at that point is say $500,000, it's going to be more difficult to raise $500,000 from your family and friends than it is to have paid in life insurance premium, which is a far lesser amount than $500,000 to receive that $500,000 check. So dollars are working much harder by using life insurance than by waiting until after the fact and relying on GoFundMe. Yeah, it's um, it's all about leverage. I mean, that's that's what insurance companies specialize in. They specialize in risk assessment and leverage. I, if, if you're listening now and you've heard other one of our podcasts, my wife and I lost our home completely to a fire in 2014. The, um, I'm, I don't have a problem uh, telling you that the insurance company wrote us a check for $550,000 to pay off the, the smaller mortgage we had and then all the contents 
inside the house and rebuild the house. And just for you, just to let you know that, you know, you, you're not insuring the land or the um, foundation. So mm. the rebuild costs are less than the actual value of your home. So that's why. Um, but we only paid $1,850 for four years living in that home per year to get that $550,000 check. So that's what the power of leverage. Why is that? Because the other people are also paying into the insurance company at $1,850. The insurance company is then investing the money and then they're paying it, they're paying it out. Life insurance companies do the same thing. They pool the resources. They make smart, conservative investments. And then when the, those particular people do die at a, at an uh, either an untimely or timely death, they pay out, but it's leveraged up so that a small amount from a lot of people becomes a large amount to fewer people. See, and I think that's the key that we need to realize about insurance in general is that if you experience hardship without insurance, you don't have that support of the life insurance company and all the people who've been paying premiums behind you. You're on your own. You have to take on the risk. You have to bear the financial burden alone. But when you have insurance, it's like all of the insured people at that insurance company are bearing that burden with you, essentially, because you're relying on that that leverage to be able to handle that risk. You're taking the risk off of yourself and you're putting it on a lot more people through the insurance policy. And that is what gives you such a tremendous advantage. And they're able to do that because they know not everyone's house is going to burn down tomorrow. They know not everyone that they're insuring is going to pass away tomorrow. They know that some people will, but not everyone. And they're looking actuarially over their full population of being insured. So having the peace of mind, this is going to take us into the next point. So we're in point two right now. The second reason you need life insurance is that it's income protection to take care of your family if something happened to you and you lost your income. Now, that gives you tremendous peace of mind. And why is peace of mind valuable? This is so, so interesting. If you have the peace of mind of knowing, look, if something did happen to me, my kids and my family are not financially going to be hurting. They are going to be okay. Now I can think differently and I can take chances in other, in responsible other ways in my life because I have that solid ground of certainty. Now, if you've also been following the show for a while, you probably know that I, about three years ago, experienced a near-death experience. had my second daughter and I found myself waking up after a surgery four hours later and being retold the story that I had been very close to death and about 50% survival chance in surgery. And that brought a new awareness to me who went into labor and delivery feeling very healthy, feeling fairly invincible because I just never conceptualized that there was, that my mortality could be right around the corner. And I don't say that to scare anyone, but what it made me realize is that I need to accept the reality that I may not be here tomorrow. And if I am able to accept that and I'm able to prepare for that, the preparation gives me a sense of certainty and confidence. So I know then that 
my kids are going to be okay financially. They're going to have everything provided for them and everything to take care of them the way that I would if I were still living. And because of that now, there's something called economic value of certainty. And I love this. Um, I should have written down the guy who wrote that. Do you remember? Les McGuire. Um, A guy named Les McGuire wrote an article called Economic Value of Certainty. And he just talked about the value of having a solid ground or a foundation or a floor at some point in something in your financial life gives you the ability to think more creatively and expansively in every other area. It's almost like if you were um, blindfolded and you didn't have the certainty of knowing what was ahead of you, it would be really difficult to drive 60 miles an hour on the road. I mean, there's so many things that you could encounter that would be a tremendous risk. But if you have the certainty of your eyes are wide open, it's broad daylight, it's clear skies, there's not any ice on the road because you're not even at freezing temperatures, you can see all the cars in front of you. Now you have certainty, you're able to drive with a lot more confidence and make better decisions than just sitting still because you have the clarity and you have the certainty to be able to make those decisions. It's the same in your financial life. When you have peace of mind in one area, it translates over to tremendous increase in productivity, in creativity, in every other area of your life. And you're better, you're able to make better financial decisions. Yeah. I've, I mean, I'm just to add to this, I've commented this on the podcast many, many times. If you don't believe in this principle, then just cancel your car insurance and drive across town. You will drive completely differently and inefficiently because you're worried about your your speed, you're worried about how you make your turns, you're you're worried about everything, and you can't be efficient in your driving. Mm, Very well said. So that was the third reason, that you get peace of mind from having life insurance that allows you to make better decisions everywhere else. Now, number four, the fourth reason you need life insurance is that you get tax advantages that allow you to grow wealth faster. Bruce, can you just share the difference between taxable, tax deferred, and tax free or tax advantaged, and really what that means in terms of growing your wealth? Yeah, and once again, we're not CPAs, and we're not in. We're not saying that you shouldn't check with your own people and how this works. But taxable money is any money that you make that particular year. You have to put on your taxes that particular year. Okay, so. Um, it's not about the appreciation of something that you haven't sold. That's growing tax deferred. So, so uh, oftentimes people think about their 401ks or IRAs. That's that money hasn't been taxed. Matter of fact, you you uh, you get to write it off your income that year, so it hasn't been taxed. It grows tax deferred, and then when you when you actually disperse it, now you have to pay taxes on it. And the tax advantage, which oftentimes people would also say tax-free. And I think one of the reasons we don't say tax-free all the time is because um, it's a little semantics here, but you know you can get tax-deferred money. And we actually did this part of our podcast last time. I think it was last time, maybe two times ago where we said you can actually get tax deferred and then actually access it tax-free. So there's some things that are tax advantage, 
where you, more than likely you're not going to pay any taxes on it if you do it correctly. And that is some municipal bonds, um, a portion of your home equity in your home, depending on the rules, um, Roth IRAs, and then life insurance. And that money never has to be put, if you do it correctly, never has to go on your 1040 to pay to pay taxes on legally. The, the, you know, these are all legal. And let me clarify that. If you think that, hey, my kids are going to get this life insurance payout, they're going to have to report that on their taxable or on their tax return and pay taxes on the death benefit. That is not true. You will, they will not pay income so taxes. Guess, but it, oh, as long as it was set up properly and it wasn't a modified endowment contract. So yes, um, you have to, you have to talk about that. So, okay. Yes. So as long as the life insurance stayed designated as life insurance and didn't cross this, ta- this tax threshold by now, becoming we're talking a- about the death. I'm sorry, if we're talking about the death benefit, then that would, that would be different. But if you're, um, if you're just changing the ownership is what I'm saying, and your children get that, then that's de- different. Okay. Talking, so I'm talking about the death about, benefit. You're talking about the death benefit. I'm sorry. Yes. That's okay. So if the death benefit is paid to your children, they will not pay income tax on the death benefit. That's a tremendous advantage. So not only are you paying less in premium than the death benefit is worth, the death benefit does not get paid. You don't pay tax on the death benefit when that pays out to your heirs, whether that's to a trust, whether it's to your spouse, whether it's to your children. Now, in addition, we're going to introduce the idea of having cash value whole life insurance because as you're growing, as you're putting premiums in, let me start from bare bones here. If you're putting premium dollars in, you're building a death benefit. In addition, you are growing cash value inside the policy that you have access to this capital inside the policy. That, as long as you access it properly, is also not taxed when you use that properly through policy loans. What that means is that you have a tremendous advantage of growing money that you can use during your lifetime and money that pays out to future generations in a tax advantaged way. And the benefit of that is that you don't have to get 8% return on that money and then pay taxes. And that brings it down to, you know, four and a half, five percent return on your money. When you think about how your life insurance policy is growing, the taxes do not apply, which means you don't have to have as much growth to compensate for what would be an equivalent taxable growth rate. Now, I'm sure if you're listening for the first time, I've just put a really um, difficult idea in front of you, and I just want to flush this out a second. I just made a comparison of life insurance to an investment, but what I want you to know is that life insurance is not an investment. We don't think about it in terms of being an investment. Investments take on risk. That means you have not only potential for higher growth, you also have the risk of loss. Within life insurance, you do not have the potential to lose your cash value because as your cash value grows, that sets a new floor and it never drops below that value amount. So you don't take risk in a life insurance policy that is structured the way that we discuss. So it should not be compared to an investment. But if you're thinking about where can I put my money to get the most advantage or the most benefit, you're just asking that very broad question well, maybe you're in the position of saying, well, should I invest? Should I 
get life insurance instead? Where should I put the priority? Where's going to be the greatest benefit and advantage for me? Just know that when you put your dollars into life insurance, you are getting tax advantages that far that make it perform better than if you were comparing it to a taxable investment. Bruce, is there anything that you want to clarify or add to in that? No, I think we we are going to um, talk about this on the next one. Um, so I'm no, I'm I'm good for right now. Okay, so that was the fourth reason. The fifth reason that you need life insurance is that you gain additional strategies for income in later years. The simple way to say this is that if you have, and again, we're going to talk now. The rest of these points are going to be about having a whole life insurance policy or a permanent life insurance policy that has a cash value component. And when you do that, you gain this benefit of having an asset that has a, let me just back up and clarify. We are, there's lots of different kinds of insurance. There's universal, there's variable, there's indexed universal life. We're specifically talking about whole life insurance and the benefit that you get from a guaranteed cash value component. Bruce, do you want to clarify anything about that before we move into the next steps. I just don't want to have any confusion. No, I mean, it's, it's not, we're not saying you can't do it with the other ones. They're just not, there's not guarantees. And I know people are going to scream and say there's guarantees and uh, guaranteeing ULs and so on and so forth. The guarantees are different. They're guaranteed that you're going to have the death benefit if you continue to pay the premium, which is not guaranteed. And people are going to say an index universal life you're guaranteed not to lose money according to the stock market. Yes, you're guaranteed not to lose money according to the stock market, but you're not guaranteed fees involved in those. So with the whole life, you are guaranteed that the fees are not going to increase. And you're also guaranteed that the cash value is going to be uh, guaranteed not to go down once it grows. So there, it's two different types of guarantees. You have to know the difference. Thank you. I think that brought a lot of clarity. So number five is that you gain additional strategies for income in later years. So let's just think about this. If you have the security and certainty of knowing that you have X amount of dollars in cash value in your life insurance policy, and that is in addition to your other investments, it's a part of your full comprehensive financial strategy. Now, instead of just having investments only and having to think about conserving and preserving the principal and living off the interest and having to be concerned about if the market or the stock market goes down in a particular year, how you're going to handle that, you now have a second asset with a, a growth that is uh, you have guaranteed amounts. So it's not going to drop in value. You're not going to have uh, your cash value shrink tomorrow, which means you can use that as a buffer asset to draw income from in those years that your investments are down. Or you can think about not just living off the interest and preserving the principal. You can think about using up the principal in your investments and having the life insurance cash value as a strategy for secondary income after your other investments are used up. It just gives you a lot more options it's not saying that you have to use one of these strategies specifically, but it gives you another place, another source to draw income from when you're in those later years and trying to think about how to maximize income. Yeah. And this is, we can't possibly in two minutes explain this buffered asset principle. So I would just encourage people to look up Dr. Wade Fowl. He's been on the podcast. 
two different times. Uh, if you Google him or go to Amazon, you'll see his works. He is not an insurance guy. He's not a life insurance guy. He's a registered investment advisor strategist. So he's an, he's an investment guy, and yet he, he espouses the, the benefits of having whole life insurance as a buffered asset, and he'll explain what a buffered asset is. And he actually does it from a quantitative view. In other words, he has, he has mathematically proven it over 50,000 50, Monte Carlo demonstrations. Um, so it's, it's very, he's very well uh, researched in, in this uh, particular topic. I love that you shared that. We'll make sure we link to his article as well. So number six, your sixth reason for why you should have or why you need life insurance is that especially if you're using life insurance that has cash value. So I'm going to talk about whole life insurance for a minute. You now have a system for automatic savings. Now, this is extremely beneficial because many people think about saving if there's money left over at the end of the month. It's a side strategy. Maybe I'll get around to it. Maybe I won't. Many people wish they had more savings. They wish they had more going into savings each month, but they don't have a system in place to force them to consistently save. We also know that saving first or paying yourself first or profit first, to um, use Mike Michalowicz's term, is the number one foundation for building wealth. Having a system for regularly spending less than you make. And if you are able to do that on a regular basis, you are able to then build cash value or build liquidity, build reserves. And if you have a system for saving, you're going to be able to move further ahead financially. Now, many people will will invest automatically through um, deductions on their paycheck into something like a 401k, and that's automatic. It sweeps off of your paycheck before you even get a chance to spend the money. And so that makes it easy to invest automatically, but the savings gets left on the back burner. Maybe maybe you get around to it. Instead, it would be better to have a system for automatic savings. And life insurance allows you to have that system for automatic savings because you can have premiums deducted on a monthly basis or an annual basis so that you are not in a position of saying, well, I'll get around to savings if I if I don't spend everything up. And then the ideal way would be to, instead of just investing automatically, to invest strategically and with discipline into investments that you know and control, not automatically. Bruce, is there anything that you would like to add just about the idea of having a regular saving system? Well, there are now companies that will go through a person's financial life and remove things that are coming out monthly that they don't even use whether it's a gym membership or another membership that they no longer move, use because that, is, that systematic way is making those companies wealthy and making you less wealthy. So I would just say if it's a viable service to, to actually find and identify and get rid of those, then the opposite is also true. That's awesome. Um, and yeah. Anything that you set up on recurring is much easier to not have to dedicate your brain energy towards, but just have it happen in your life, which is going to give you the tremendous benefit. So number seven is that you now have an excellent place to store cash. Bruce, I'm going to let you talk about that. Yeah, this is is about the purpose of the money. We talk about this all the time. 
we're not saying that all money has to be taxable, all money has to be tax deferred, all money has to be tax free. What is the purpose of the money? When you think about the purpose of the money, you think about three things, safety, liquidity, and growth. You cannot get all three of those things in one financial vehicle. And so I'm just going to um, bring out a couple points. So like a bank savings account, is it safe? Yes. Is it liquid? Yes. Does it grow? No. Think about um, uh, a piece of real estate. Is it safe? No. Is it liquid? No. Now, I know people are going to be screaming. I know, oh, wait a minute, you can borrow against it. Yes, but it's not that liquid because you can't just one day say, oh, I want the money out of it. You have to go through a process. And um, it does it grow? Traditionally, it does grow on the whole. You can do this with any anything that you have in your life, whether it's a stock, a mutual fund, a bond, uh, a business. Anything is safety, liquidity, and growth. You can't get all three of it. So when you're looking at when you're looking at uh, placing money into a cash value whole life insurance policy that's specially designed, is it safe? Yes, there's guarantees. Is it a liquidity? Yes, but the liquidity in the early years is limited, so you're not getting the full thing. And there's growth. Yes, there's guaranteed growth in those particular in that particular place. So it does serve the safety, liquidity, and growth um, benefits that we analyze all the time in our financial life. So this leads us into the eighth reason why you need life insurance, which is very related, but cash value itself is accessible, safe savings. So you have capital to invest in opportunities. Now I know Bruce just said that in the early years, your liquidity is limited. But the reason we say that cash value is liquid is for this reason. I do not have to qualify or fill out an application or go through a, a, an approval process to see if I can access my cash value or not. I don't have to prove income. I don't have to say what I'm going to use that cash value for. I don't have to prove that I'm going to repay it in any per, um, specific time frame. I have access to borrow against my cash value just for the sake of being a policy owner because I have the cash value. So it's a contractual policy owner right. So that makes this liquid. I don't have to uh, go through some iron bars to access my capital. I'm able to access it almost automatically just by making the request. So it's liquid in that way. It's also safe because it's not going to drop in value. And what that means is now I'm growing a pool of reserves that's not something that's in home equity or in equity in real estate that I have to qualify for. It's not something that's barely growing at all. It's not something that I can't touch. It's something that if I say there's a great deal I want to invest in, I need cash tomorrow, I have the reserves to be able to use to make that investment. If I want to invest in my business and I want to hire a marketing strategist or I want to um, implement a new automation system in my business to scale it, I have the capital and the cash liquid and available to do that. And so there's a saying that I think might have come originally from Nelson Nash, who was the author of Becoming Your Own Bank. It, it might have, um, is that the name of his book, Becoming Your Own Bank? Am I saying that correctly? Banker. I was like, something didn't quite feel right about the name, becoming your own banker. So this quote either came from him or somewhere else, but it's been said a long time, opportunity seeks liquidity. You do not have 
if you don't have liquidity, you don't have cash that you can access and tap into tomorrow, you're not looking at the world the same because opportunities are going to fly past you and other people who do have the cash will be able to access them. But instead, when you have the capital, then you are looking for opportunities and you're able to advance and um, seize those opportunities. That's the word I was looking for, seize them immediately. To me, it's even more important than that, um, although that's important. It's about the right opportunities. There's there's something going on in the investment world. Once again, we're not giving out investment advice, blah, blah, blah. And this is a disclosure. Um, but there's things that are called SPAC, special acquisition companies. There's things uh, that I, I, we do here that uh, for in our investment clients um, that we evaluate and do diligence. There's a lot of cash available that in the in the um, economy right now. That's why we have inflation right now. And people are deploying this cash uh, just because they have it. My father used to say it burns whole, it's burning a hole in your pocket. In other words, you know, you have money, and you're like, you got to do something with it. Real estate investors, which I am, are the worst as far as this goes. They say, hey, I got to get my money out there. I got to get my money working for me, you know, so on and so forth. No, you have to get your money working for you in the proper place. That's the bottom line. You make one bad real estate investment and it wipes out the gains in your other portfolio. So Nelson used to always say, think long term. So you don't have to just take this money in and to deploy it right away. You, you sit on that money, you wait for the right opportunity because the right opportunities when you have cash come to you and you can then deploy it. You don't just deploy it because it's sitting around. And I think that's the biggest thing that people have to understand. And it's happening in our economy right now. A lot of SPACs, a lot of real estate investment trusts, a lot of business development corporations are making poor investment decisions right now because they're sitting on all this extra cash and they feel like they got to get it deployed and invested. And, and now that the economy is slowing down, we have inflation, they're not going to be in good positions. So we're going to add a bonus reason here. The, the reason we're going to call this number nine is that your cash is working for you even when it's not invested. So even when most people would say this money is just money sitting on the sidelines because it's saved, it's in my savings holding tank but it's not currently being deployed. It's just doing nothing. Instead, it's not doing nothing for you. It is growing with dividends and interest. It's creating a death benefit. It's allowing you a growing pool of capital. It's giving you peace of mind. And all of those things mean that it's working very hard for you while it is at rest. You're doing nothing except paying the premiums into the life insurance policy. So then we'll have number 10 is that being your own banker allows you to use velocity of money and have your money multitask, earning returns in two places at the same time. So Bruce, I'm kind of going back to the idea of, so here's when it's not deployed or when it's not deployed, you have money sitting in your life insurance. It is working very hard for you. It's like a workhorse. It's not just getting piddly returns. It's really working hard for you. And when you do deploy that capital, now you're able to not just 
trade returns. You're not giving up the savings returns over here and instead getting investment returns. Instead, you're continuing to get the savings return predictably over and over compound growth in your life insurance policy. And at the same time, that money is now deployed through a policy loan. You're putting that to work in an investment where it's getting a second return. The same money is working in both places for you at the same time. So you're able to have your money multitasking, which is going to help you continue to grow wealth faster. And so you're able to use velocity of money to put your dollars to work from your life insurance policy, borrow against that, put them to work somewhere else, pay off that policy loan and use those dollars over and over again for additional opportunities throughout your lifetime. Bruce, is there something you want to add there? talks about this. You You can do this with a variety of things in your life. You can borrow against your home. Nelson uses a CD. We don't think of CDs now because they're very they they don't make very much money, although they're starting to grow. But there's advantages and disadvantages to everything. With the whole life insurance, you get you you get all the other um, benefits that we talked about, and you get to borrow against an asset, just like you can borrow against a lot of assets. Heck, you could even do it uh, with a brokerage account, an investment account. In a, in a margin account, uh, all these big securities companies will give you a margin account where you can borrow against a portion of your investments. However, what, if those investments go down, they have guidelines where they will then have what they call a margin call, and you will have to come up with more money. And in a lot of cases, the way people come up with more money is they have to sell their investments, which, by the way, are now down. So they lose money because they have to sell their investment. So the one thing that you can do is set up a whole life insurance contract and contractually you control the borrowing terms. And it's the one place where you control the borrowing terms as far as when you want to access it, how much you want to access it, and the payback terms. Uh, yes. The only the only term on the payback that you do not um, control is the interest rate, which is set by the insurance company. Bruce, can you talk real quickly about if somebody did have money? I don't think this applies to the the margin account on a or a margin on a brokerage account, but if you had money in, say, a four hundred one k or an IRA, you can borrow against that as well or take money out, but isn't there restrictions on the amount of your cash that you can access? Yeah. If a, a 401k, there's something called a third party administrator and you actually, um, the corporation that sets up the 401k actually hires them in most cases to set up the rules. And of course, the more rules there are, the more expensive it is. And, but also, if you can limit how much you can borrow out of it, um, uh, then also the, the investment company's making more money. So they set them up a lot of times, to, the, the corporation sets it up to keep the cost down. And so usually it's no more than 50% or $50,000 out of those particular uh, tax deferred accounts. And so if I had $500,000, I can't just think of all that $500,000 is available for me to borrow against. It's probably not no, accurate. No, it's, it's, it's usually whichever is less. In most cases, right? it's 50% or, or $50,000, whichever's larger. 
Okay. In most cases, there are exceptions to that. But once again, those exceptions do not, they come with cost to the corporation. And usually they say, hey, we're keeping the cost down. So, so you'd have to check it out. Sometimes so, you actually, uh, whatever you borrow against, you don't get the returns. They lock the returns in. So you're losing the growth of what you're borrowing against. Sometimes they allow the returns to continue and also the losses to continue. Um, it all depends on how the TPA uh, set it up and whether the corporation accepted those particular rules or not. Mm. The good news is that if you're using life insurance, you can borrow up to almost all of your cash value that's currently available. There is a little bit that's left at the top, or you could say at the bottom of the cash value that you have available that is not able to be borrowed against. And that's because the life insurance company needs to keep something inside of your policy. Bruce, you can add to that if you'd like. No, I mean, it's, it's it, depending on your age, your gender, your habits, it's usually anywhere between 92 and 96% of your, the cash value is available as a loan value. You don't even really have to worry about that in most cases because the insurance companies just report, you know, they will report the cash value, but they'll also report the loan value. So you'll see the loan value available. They've already done all that calculation for you. Perfect. All right. So we're getting very close to the top of the hour. I know we were trying to keep this episode a little short, but I think there's a lot of valuable information for you here. So the last reason, which we added in a reason. So now instead of 10 reasons, we're giving you an 11th reason uh, that you need life insurance is that it's a tool for creating generational wealth. In fact, it's probably the best tool for creating generational wealth. Let me just paint a quick picture for you. If you paid in to a life insurance policy today, let's just say you paid in premiums during your lifetime and that policy pays out to your children, whatever the dollar amounts are, the life insurance death benefit is going to be more than you paid in in premiums. That pays out to your children. If you direct or teach your children that any money they receive, they should be considering using life insurance as a foundation, not the only financial strategy, but as a piece of their financial strategy and capital that comes to them should be used to purchase more whole life insurance. They, so that generation two is able to buy life insurance on themselves with more capital than you had because the death benefit that was paid out to them is higher than what you paid in. And now they pay into life insurance policies that pay out into generation three. If you think this way, you're able to not only pass on dollars into future generations, you're also able to pass on the principles of sound money, of having capital, having liquid reserves, having savings, and thinking from a perspective of being in a stable, certain financial environment where you have that economic value of certainty. And how amazing would it be if five, six, seven generations from you in the future, there was a tremendous amount of capital because of your vision to see generationally. I think there's so much power in using life insurance as a generational wealth tool. Bruce, is there anything you'd like to add to that before we just talk about what to do with this information to move over the hurdles? No, I mean, it's, it's people, some people have this goal. I watch a lot of public television and most of those are funded by foundations that people have taking this upon themselves to grow generational wealth. The Rockefeller Foundation 
is is the greatest example of it. Them and the Vanderbelts is the is the family from the uh, late eighteen hundreds that actually did not do it, and their wealth went the exact opposite direction of the Vanderbelts or, or the Rockefellers. So, if this is a goal, and I know people have this idea that oh, why should I have this as a goal? Well, legacy is about building something for the next generation because it carries on your value system and your character system more easily to do that. You know, I, I really hear this all the time. Well, I've done enough for my children. They don't need me to leave them a lot of money. Well, that's probably true, but you can leave your values more easily with that money. Mm-hmm. Um, whether it's for charity, whether it's uh, to actually ha- more easily have for for the next generation to have more children to to pass those characters that and and values along to the mm-hmm. next generation and the next generation, it's just going to be more easily done like that. I'll plant one idea that we share with our coaching clients, and that is that. If you are concerned about giving money to children and future generations, because you are thinking that if they get money, it's going to corrupt them. That's a false belief about money. Money does not have the power to corrupt or to improve. Money is like a magnifier. It magnifies what already exists. If there's selfishness and greed and backstabbing and struggling to position yourself over someone else and stomp on the other guy so that you can get ahead, more money is going to make that person a lot worse to be around. But if you have good-hearted people who have good values, who prefer others over themselves, who are serving others, who are looking for opportunities to benefit each other person and truly doing it out of a heart of service and love and giving, more money is going to allow them to have a tremendously greater impact and a greater reach. So dollars and the financial component of creating a legacy is the least important part. The most important part is having the value system in place and money can just make those good values do so much more good for future generations ahead. So we'll leave that there. There's a lot of ideas that we touched on and did not fully develop today, but that's the reason that we have more podcasts. So if you're listening today and you're all the way this far into the show, and you still are not sure what to do with this information, and you know that you need more life insurance, I really commend you for hanging with us this long. And so um, let's just talk to what to do, how to get over those hurdles of it's too expensive, it's um, not my top priority, and I don't know what type and amount to do. The first thing I want to say is that if you recognize that this is a priority, you can always make space in your financial life. If you're not ready for a whole life insurance product that is going to be with you your whole life and your capital or your cash flow in your life is not ready for that yet, you can always start with term insurance. And usually term insurance is not as expensive as you would think that it is. You do want to watch for a few things. You want to make sure that that's convertible because in the future, when you have additional cash flow, you want the ability to convert that over to whole life insurance. So one key thing that you do want to be looking for. Then I I want to just speak real quickly on the idea of the type and amount. If you go over to lifehappens.org, there's a calculator for human life value. This is thinking about life insurance from the perspective of how much will the insurance company insure me for? 
because again, Bruce mentioned at the beginning, life insurance companies will not overinsure you. If you make a certain dollar amount, they will take your income or your net worth and take a multiplier of that based on your age, calculate what they think you're going to make in income during your lifetime or factor in your net worth instead of your income. They, they can run that calculation as well. And they will say, this is the dollar value, the human um, economic value of this person's life. If that value that they assess is $4 million, they're not going to insure you for $20 million. You don't even have to worry about that. There's no such thing as them giving you more death benefit in insurance than you are capable of having. It would be a bad deal for them because they'd be paying out way more premium or way more death benefit than they should. And it would, I mean, their company would implode. Insurance companies would if they overinsured people. They can't do that. However, they will give you up to the maximum that they can insure you for. This is the dollar amount that would be the whole in your family's life if for the rest of time, if they lost your income. So the first thing that you should do when thinking about the amount of coverage that you should have is consider doing a calculation for yourself on your human life economic value. And I guarantee you that it's higher than you think it is. Maybe I shouldn't say guarantee. I 99% guarantee that it's higher than you think it is. There's the, the few that think that they know how much they are worth. The other thing is that you really want to watch for group life insurance. If you have a group life insurance policy, you can be in a position of saying, well, I have some insurance. However, if you leave that employer, the chances of that being portable and moving with you are very low. So if you were laid off or you quit that job and moved to another company, you're not going to have that life insurance policy anymore. And you can also think about making sure that you have some life insurance that you own personally, that you take with you wherever you go. So you're not dependent on your employer for life insurance. Bruce, I know there's a lot more that we could say. What would you share as we're wrapping up, helping people get through those hurdles to make good decisions about life insurance? Well, we had a couple of comments. And I think this is the best comment is the best wrap up. Zach Atkins uh, said, you can fit the life insurance into your budget if you combine it with your monthly savings. And that's absolutely true. So if you're going to save anywhere, anyway, well, you can actually use that savings to pay for your life insurance. And after a the lack of liquidity at the very beginning, after about four years, whatever your premium is, your cash value grows. So that's the same as just saving. So Zach, thank you for pointing that out. Sometimes uh, we know this so well, we forget to point out the obvious and we appreciate our listeners for pointing out the obvious. Thank you, Zach. Absolutely. Thank you. And thanks for bringing that up too, um, Zach. And thanks for discussing that, Bruce, on the show. So I'll just say um, in closing, if you are asking questions about life insurance, we'd love to hear from you. So you can ask those questions in many ways. You can pop a comment into the comment thread wherever you're watching this video. If that's on Facebook or LinkedIn or Twitter or YouTube, you can go ahead and put a comment into the thread and we'll be able to receive your comment and respond to it, your question. If you have a personal question, you can email us at hello at themoneyadvantage.com. We love providing you with the information and the answers that you need to really make good decisions. Now, if you are wanting to really say, look, here's my situation, here's my age, here's my kids, here's the current life insurance I have, 
Is this the right thing? Is this not the right thing? What do I need personally? We'd love to answer that question for you as well. And that's a little more involved process because in order to give recommendations, we need to understand your full financial picture and your goals and be able to look at that and assess clearly what you need. And that is a one-to-one size or one size fits one. We don't offer, it's not true that just everyone needs the same exact life insurance policy or the same policy type or the same policy amount that is based on your specific situation. We'd love to answer those questions for you in a personal conversation. And you can book that call for free at themoneyadvantage.com. That's right on the front page. It says book a conversation or book a strategy call. Thank you so much for being with us on this show today. We'd love to hear your your thoughts. If you have big questions that we can answer in a future upcoming show as well, we'd love to do that. So we always watch those questions. We cherish and treasure your Uh, your confidence in us and engaging with this show. We really appreciate you as our listeners. In closing, please remember success leaves clues. So model the successful few, not the crowd and build a life and business you love. Discover the secret of how to earn a return on the same money in two places at the same time so that you can strengthen your investment returns. We've created a free guide for you that explains the top three things every investor needs their privatized banking system to do. Go to themoneyadvantage.com slash banking, put in your name and primary email address, click the send my free guide button right now, and we'll see you on the inside. Thank you for listening to the Money Advantage podcast. Today's show notes and resources are available for you on themoneyadvantage.com. If you like this episode, make sure you subscribe and leave a review. If you have any questions or desire to speak with a qualified financial professional after listening to today's podcast, we encourage you to reach out to us at hello at themoneyadvantage.com or check us out at themoneyadvantage.com. The opinions and views expressed here are for informational purposes only. This material is educational in nature and should not be deemed as a solicitation of any specific product or service. All investments involve risk and a potential loss of principal. Kalos Capital Incorporated nor Kalos Management Incorporated offer tax or legal advice. Please consult with a tax advisor or attorney for advice regarding the impact on your portfolio. Securities offered through Kalos Capital Incorporated Member FINRA, SIPC, MSRB, and Investment Advisory Services offered through Kalos Management Incorporated and Registered Investment Advisor, both located at 11525 Parkwood Circle, Alpharetta, Georgia. E3 Consultants Group is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Kalos Capital Incorporated or Kalos Management Incorporated.